This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News, I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Later the president of the Kentucky League of Cities will talk about the places where most people in the Commonwealth live. J.D. Cheney will be with us to talk about priorities that cities and towns are pushing in this legislative session. But first, the Attorney General of the Commonwealth is here. Daniel Cameron is an historic figure, the first African American ever elected to statewide office in his own right. He's also the first Republican Attorney General in Kentucky in more than 70 years. Cameron ran on law and order issues and has promised a renewed focus on tackling the state's opioid crisis. He also has asked the FBI to look into some of the pardons issued by former Governor Matt Bevan. And he has some priorities of his own for lawmakers. Attorney General Cameron, welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it very much. Thank you much. so much, Bill. I really appreciate being here. We're last year as a candidate, so we'll yes, say sir. congratulations on your victory. Thank you. And how do you describe your first weeks in office? Well, they've been good. Um, we've got a great team assembled uh, from my Deputy Attorney General Barry Dunn to the head of my criminal division, uh, Amy Burke, and our civil division, Vic Maddox, all very well-respected and well-regarded uh, individuals within the legal community uh, from Northern Kentucky, uh, Jefferson County. Uh, we've got folks uh, from all over the Commonwealth who have populated uh, our AG's office and I'm really really excited about the work that we're going to be able to do on behalf of Kentuckians in the role as the uh, chief law enforcement officer here and in the Commonwealth. For some who may not realize the, the full spectrum of uh, issues that the Attorney General's office touches, you are, as you said, the chief prosecutor uh, for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. In addition to that, there are many other areas of responsibility. Of course. Well, we have the responsibility, uh, especially as it relates to consumer protection matters. Uh, we are always in the business of looking for ways to look out for Kentuckians, on a uh, whole host of issues, whether it be uh, fraud, uh, waste and abuse, public corruption, uh, some of the criminal issues that we uh, discussed earlier as it relates to the opioid epidemic or the drug, drug epidemic, epidemic more broadly. Uh, so we have a lot of responsibility. And when I was on the trail, I talked a lot about how this job is so critically important because it touches so many lives and can have such meaningful impact. Uh, so again, I'm grateful and honored to be able to serve in this capacity. You have come out in support of Senate Bill 1, which says Kentucky localities could not be sanctuary cities uh, when it comes to enforcing federal immigration laws. Uh, why do you believe that needs to pass the legislature? Well, let me take a step back and just talk about the process that we undertake in the AG's office as it relates to engaging with, with the legislature. So when I was on the campaign trail, I talked a lot about the responsibility of the AG's office to really defend and enforce the laws, the General Assembly having the responsibility of passing uh, legislation. But when we look at how we engage with the legislature, we really think about three primary components. We think about one, uh, how does this impact public safety? Uh, what is the interest to the law enforcement community? And how ultimately, how ultimately in my judgment, uh, can we serve the institution of the AG's office? So on this particular issue, uh, the SB1, what I said on the campaign trail, and I continue to be consistent on now, is that the AG's office, from an institutional standpoint, but also from a law enforcement standpoint, has to be in the business of being a support system for not only our local and state law enforcement community, but also our federal law enforcement community. Uh, and so this is a way for us to make a statement as a Kentucky law enforcement community 
uh, that we're going to work closely with our federal law enforcement community to help them uh, uh, make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can uh, to uh, support our immigration laws here in the country. As you know, some, some of the pushback has been that this is the state government essentially telling the local uh, police departments the, the, the policies that they will have to uh, adhere to. Well, I think our law enforcement community needs to be in the business of collaborating. For far too long, I think, if you talk about uh, or talk to law enforcement, uh, respective law enforcement agencies, they say they often work in silos. I think we need to tear down those silos. And this is an affirmation, in my judgment, of our commitment that all of law, the law enforcement community, whether it be the state, the local, our federal law enforcement community will be working together in this in this new decade. Another sanctuary matter, about a fourth of our counties have passed resolutions in favor of gun owner rights. Uh, and, you know, they believe that will bolster uh, their efforts to keep the legislature from passing uh, any kind of laws that uh, will in, in any way uh, infringe on their rights. Uh, do you uh, believe that gun restriction laws are coming down the pike and that is something uh, uh, that for, for those who are strongly in support of the Second Amendment need to be on guard for? Well, I think it's always uh, I'm, I'm, uh, the resolutions that we've seen uh, in these particular counties uh, are just a reaffirmation of folks' uh, uh, views uh, on the Second Amendment and their belief that they uh, need a, 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 a statement, a very strong statement, that they uh, want to see their Second Amendment rights protected, and I don't see anything wrong with that. Uh, I think we have a General Assembly that's overwhelmingly uh, consistently, has consistent views with folks in our, our respective counties on that particular issue, uh, so I don't see any upcoming challenge from our, our gen General Assembly or any intrusion upon the Second Amendment rights from our General Assembly. But I always think it's important that uh, Kentuckians in particular make their voices heard on a whole range of issues. And I, and I uh, applaud those uh, counties that have passed resolutions to, again, reaffirm their commitment to the Second Amendment and make sure their Second Amendment rights are protected. You took office a little early because you uh, succeeded the uh, now governor who had been attorney general, but the pardon issue was already swirling when you took office with former governor Matt Bevan uh, issuing pardons and clemency in some cases that are considered to be very controversial. Uh, have you essentially turned that matter over to federal investigators? I have, and we you know, put forward a, a statement on that, and I'll let, make that, let that statement speak for itself. Should the pardon system uh, given this experience, in your view, uh, have some reform? Well, look, I, I think as a, a practice, it's always, not as a policy matter, but as a practice, I think it's always important that uh, whenever a uh, governor is issuing a pardon that he let local and, and state, uh, uh, particularly the prosecutors in a, uh, a specific jurisdiction in which uh, a family or victims could be impacted, he gives them, uh, he or she gives them a notice uh, prior to uh, sending out the uh, the pardon or issuing the pardon, uh, but I'll let the General Assembly make a decision about how they want to proceed as it relates to uh, any uh, policy uh, changes on that front. The Secretary of State, Michael Adams, elected on the same day that you were, uh, is pushing a voter ID proposal that somebody has to have a photo ID when they when they go to vote. He acknowledges that there has not been a problem with people misrepresenting themselves at the polls. Uh, some opponents are calling that a form of voter suppression. Do you support the, uh, the photo ID push? I see nothing wrong with the photo ID push. Uh, you know, I, I think, and I've talked to uh, Secretary Adams about this, um, I think we need to ensure integrity within our voting systems. Uh, and so this is one way, uh, one uh, way that he has put forth in uh, consultation with the General Assembly 
uh, to make sure that that's the case, and uh, I support his effort to do so. Do you feel from your standpoint that Kentucky uh, is in a position to hold a fair election during this uh, year in which we'll have a presidential and U.S. Senate election? absolutely believe that we have the uh, uh, capacity to have a fair and free election uh, and certainly it's incumbent upon me and Secretary Adams and other and statewide uh, elected offices to make sure that we're vigilant to do everything we possibly can uh, to root out any sort of uh, voter fraud or vo voter intimidation and we'll stand ready uh, to do that uh, in the primary season but also in the general election. We made Lansing a uh, reference to this earlier. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, you said one of your highest priorities, if not your highest, is going to be to try to disrupt this uh, opioid crisis that has uh, so hurt families and communities and obviously uh, our state in terms of resources. Uh, how are you uh, going to move forward on that? Well, I think one of the, the things that I've identified and that we, we talk about with the law enforcement com community generally is not only do we have an opioid epidemic, but we have a much broader drug epidemic. And so looking for meaningful ways to partner with our local and state law enforcement community, uh, whether it be through task forces or building out uh, the infrastructure, or I'm sorry, not the infrastructure, but the footprint of the AG's office uh, across the Commonwealth is something that I, can, I think will help uh, build those strong partnerships. Uh, so what I'm looking for in particular is to have more investigators in the AG's office. Uh, right now we have an Office of Department of Criminal Investigations that's head by, headed up by our Commissioner uh, Rich Ferretti who spent some time as a um, uh, special agent in charge of the Secret Service here in the Commonwealth. Uh, he's now our Commissioner. So we want to have more investigators to help with drug investigations, uh, to help with pu public, uh, uh, public crime investigations or public corruption investigations, but also to help with cyber crimes investigations. And so to have more investigators across the Commonwealth that can ha help on a whole myriad of issues, in particular the drug epidemic, is something that is incredibly important to me. We're also doing everything we can to bring in additional special prosecutors to help prosecute cases uh, that our, our Commonwealth and county attorneys might need some additional help or assistance on. We never want to take over a case from a, uh, a local Commonwealth or county attorney uh, because they have primary jurisdiction over these cases. But anything we can do, in my judgment, to help assist our, our state, uh, our local prosecutors, I'm going to be in the business of doing. How many more people do you feel you need uh, to fan out across the state? Well, I'd like to have uh, <laughs> unlimited uh, a number of folks, uh, but you know, obviously things are dictated by the budget. Have you communicated to the governor your desire for more money for this? Well, I, I, I've had them? I've had great conversations with the General Assembly, our uh, elected leadership in the uh, in the General Assembly, about uh, ways in which. Uh, we could beef up our office to uh, sort of fulfill some of the uh, commitments and obligations that I made during the, uh, on the campaign trail. That's obviously an ongoing conversation. Look, I recognize uh, that there are never enough resources uh, in state government and um, that we're all dealing with finite budgets. I understand that. There's a school uh, safety law that was passed last year and it has not been funded and that is up uh, for consideration in the General Assembly right now. Uh, there is also a Senate Bill 8 that calls for arming uh, the, the guards who would be at schools, or the, the, the resource officers who would be there. Are you supportive of that? Well, I don't know the particulars of that, uh, of that piece of legislation. I've obviously um, 
uh, from time to time are, am asked to consult on different pieces of or proposals that are put forth. Uh, so I'd like to see that before making any sort of rash uh, assessment on it. Governor Bashir has said he favors criminal justice reform. He's really doubled down on that this week, uh, which means different things to different people. Uh, one of the, the goals is to reduce the number of Kentuckians who are incarcerated, uh, some of them pretrial, who uh, cannot make the bail to get out, but they have pled uh, not guilty. Uh, do you uh, support that effort? Or what does criminal justice reform look like to you? Well, I think it's important to have the uh, Attorney General a part of these conversations. I want to be a productive member and participant of any of the conversation on criminal justice reform. I think it's always healthy uh, to have a discussion about what our uh, justice system looks like, especially as we're now moving into a new decade. But what I'm going to do and, and rely upon is the uh, good wisdom of folks like Luana Redcorn, the Commonwealth's attorney here in Fayette County. I'm going to rely on Rob Sanders, a strong Commonwealth's attorney in Northern Kentucky, William Elkins, county attorney over in Clark County. Uh, I want to make sure that there is, um, that it's communicated what the view is of um, our prosecutors here in Kentucky and our law enforcement community more globally. But I do think it's healthy Which, to Which, Mr. Attorney General, has often been not to do this yes, because sir. it, it, it uh, potentially allows uh, folks back out on the streets easier. Well, I, I so, and your point is a, a, very, a very good one. I think what people look at when they talk about criminal justice reform is sort of two tranches. They look at front-end reforms and back-end reforms. So on the front end, you have sort of sentencing components or the bell system. Uh, on the back end, you have uh, programs in place to reintegrate uh, individuals who are ending their term of imprisonment back into society. Uh, and so I think we have to have a fulsome conversation about what criminal justice reform looks like in this decade. In my judgment, the attorney general always has to be in the mindset of how does this impact victims? And so victims have to have a place at the table as it relates to any criminal justice reform issues, but I'm happy, I'm happy, I've, ar I've done some work in this area in the past, I'm happy to be a part of this discussion do, going forward. Do you foresee suing e-cigarette companies as, as a commonwealth in the way that localities and some school boards are planning to do? That's something that uh, we'll be looking at in the, in the uh, coming days and, and weeks ahead. Uh, we always have to be vigilant in the AG's office and make sure that we're enforcing the law without fear or favor. Uh, and so that'll be um, uh, an industry that we look at uh, as it relates to uh, what, what's appropriate uh, moving forward. Your old boss, Senator Mitch McConnell, has uh, really been in the spotlight the last few days managing the impeachment trial of President Trump. Do you uh, generally approve of the senator's approach to, uh, to handling that uh, uh, large task? Well, I, I look at the, uh, the uh, United States Senate and I look at uh, the institution of the presidency and I, I think um, the way that it's being handled is appropriate. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, if you talk to Kentuckians, I think by and large they don't want to see the President of the United States impeached. Obviously that's the decision that is made by the United States Senate. But I had the occasion uh, a, a few short weeks ago to uh, file the re-election papers for the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, was honored to do so. As I talk to people uh, outside of Fayette County and Jefferson County, really what I consider sort of the pulse of the Commonwealth, uh, folks are, are pleased with the way that he fights for everyday Americans. Uh, and so I was honored to be able to uh, play a small part in uh, filing his papers for re-election. We appreciate you coming by. I hope you'll of report course. to us regularly. I would love tenure. to. I'd Thank welcome you. it. Yes, appreciate sir. Appreciate it. And we hope you'll stay with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll hear from the Kentucky League of Cities. What's going on in the cities and towns when we come back?
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. It may not be our external image, but most Kentuckians are, in fact, city dwellers. The Kentucky League of Cities represents the interests of cities and towns across the Commonwealth, and they're pushing hard on several fronts right now in Frankfurt. J.D. Cheney is the executive director and CEO of the League. He was promoted to that position after years and working in other jobs with the KLC. Thanks for coming. Appreciate Thank you, it very Bill. much. Appreciate being here. Well, the time is now for the legislature in Frankfurt. What are the highest priorities uh, that cities have right now as the legislature is meeting? You know, our, our cities really drive the economic welfare of the entire commonwealth and we're at a, we're at a crossroads not to be uh, cliche about that uh, with the pension cost increasing as a result of the actions of the retirement systems board over the past couple of years uh, and the difficulty with raising revenues uh, based on restrictions from the 1891 constitution it's kind of a two-fold approach which is how do we manage these expenditures that are being mandated from Frankfurt along with raising revenue in a fair way under these constitutional restrictions. So as a result, we've got to address the pension situation. We've, we've got to figure out how to pay, how much we owe, uh, and a, and a cost-efficient way to do that uh, through re reforms to the, to the pension system. Also, we've got to talk about revenue diversification. Right now, the Constitution kind of, and the legislature kind of forces cities to put a lot of burden on productivity uh, through occupational taxes. In fact, that's what funds more than half of all the city revenues that are collected. Uh, and there's no consumption-based element in that. So we've got, a, we've got a, uh, three kind of revenue-based bills, one related to infrastructure funding, transportation, infrastructure funding, another one related to equity on the, on the restaurant tax, and then the uh, last one is, is really untying the hands of the General Assembly to permit them to do comprehensive local government tax reform, which would take a constitutional amendment. So what you're essentially asking for is flexibility from Frankfurt for the cities. Uh, let local residents uh, make decisions. Is that a correct yes, read sir. on it? Yes, sir. And so this, uh, what you're saying with the uh, uh, restaurant tax, for instance, can only be applied now in the smaller cities and towns in Kentucky, and you would want all cities to be eligible to have that. That's right. It, it, the, the restaurant tax capability is based on an antiquated classification system that the legislature actually rejected in 2014, and it's still tied to that. Old fourth and fifth class cities, and we don't have those classes anymore, are kind of grandfathered in, and the only ones that are capable of doing that. It doesn't make sense. You know, I live in Richmond in, in Madison County, and Richmond can't utilize that tool while if just a few minutes down I-75, Berea can. Same thing happens in Hardin County with Elizabethtown and Ratcliffe backing up to one another, essentially the same size cities. Uh, Ratcliffe says, wait a minute, we don't have the tool that, uh, that Elizabethtown does. And, and what local officials want is equity to say, let us leverage that that tool as well because it functions as a consumption-based tax and it allows cities to do something they can't do right now which is collect from those that are, are transient uh, that, that come in and utilize the infrastructure, take advantage of the public resources. This allows people that are traveling or, or transient that don't live or work inside the city to contribute to some of the things that they that they are able to enjoy. Visitors are helping you pay the bills. That's correct. Well, yeah. now, you also want the flexibility for cities to be able to potentially enact uh, some different means of bringing in revenue 
possibly local sales tax? Yeah, that goes to this produ productivity versus yeah. consumption-based uh, tax model that we have. It will re it's a heavy lift. It will require a constitutional amendment, which is two-thirds votes in both chambers of the legislature, and then to be placed on the ballot uh, for the voters of Kentucky. Right now, the Constitution says that the legislature can only permit cities to do franchise fees, ad valorem taxes, property taxes, and occupational taxes. And so there's no excise tax uh, capability at all. And so there's been various iterations of this discussion over time. Uh, the last attempt was to say, well, well, we'll do a sales tax, it'll sunset at the end, it'll pay for a specific project. But what I think the legislators really want to do, and state policymakers, as well as city officials, they're in agreement on this, is to migrate reliance on occupational tax revenues over to, to allow some sales tax, some consumption-based element as part of the tax portfolio. And Tennessee does that. And, ten and right? Tennessee does that. And the constitutional amendment would just, this time without getting into a lot of specifics on it, is do the voters, does everyone agree that the legislature ought to be able to at least consider some element of, of, of comprehensive local government tax reform? And so this amendment's very simple. It just says uh, the legislature is authorized to allow cities and counties to enact any tax not inconsistent with the Constitution. So it would sound like you were basically asking lawmakers to unshackle themselves yes, that, with an amendment. That's a request. But voters might fear that, well, if we do, then here come the taxes. That, that is what I'm sure they, they fear. Right. right. And, and the legislature really, uh, over the past couple of years, has done a, a good job of, of tackling state tax reform. Uh, I know there's additional steps for them to go in dealing, dealing with that, but if you look at how they lowered the state income tax uh, down to 5% and spread the uh, sales tax over, over across some additional services, they were able to, to make that transition themselves, which has is, which is helped with economic development in this, in this state. If they could do the same thing and have those same tools to, to take a deliberate, measured approach for local government tax reform, I think it will help with job growth and job creation. J.D. Cheney is here from the Kentucky League of Cities. We'll come back in just a moment. We'll ask him a little bit more about the, uh, the transportation issue and then a couple of other things facing city halls when we come back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. J.D. Cheney is the CEO of the Kentucky League of Cities. We'll continue our discussion. Streets and roads are paved and maintained with money that comes from the state gasoline tax. There is a push to try to bring in some more revenue on that because those uh, receipts are very flat. You are in favor of that. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, we have a broad coalition, counties, cities, Chamber of Commerce, Farm Bureau, uh, essentially everybody recognizes because every state around us besides Missouri has uh, has tackled this issue and invested in their infrastructure. You've got to have good transportation infrastructure as a key to city growth, county county growth, uh, that, that it's really important for Kentucky to make that commitment as well. One other component in dealing with that gas tax is creating additional uh, equity among city and county governments. The road funding formula right now, the local portion, about 80% of that goes to county governments, mm -hmm. even though, uh, and 20% of it goes to cities, even though we have the same expenditures, about the same amount of money, 
uh, statewide is spent on city streets and roads. However, we got a curb, gutter, mill, uh, and, and we have higher utilization yep. on city streets. So that's a component of that as, as well. J.D., the fact that the police departments are recording body cam footage now, the cities are operating surveillance uh, cameras in many cases, uh, that is leading to a lot more people making requests for that video, and that's an additional expense to cities, right? That is. We, we did some legislation uh, in the 2018 uh, legislature to kind of help with some of those requests. We have now city clerks essentially assuming the role of video editors in responding to those requests. So we continue to, to try to balance the public's right to know because it's extremely important that the public have access to that information. That's why they're citizen-based police departments. Uh, but also we need to be mindful of what the burden is on taxpayers with regard to the volume of requests and how those are how those are answered and you're still balancing personal privacy interest uh, with all of that so we we need to continue to work towards policies that that appropriately balance all those various interests especially safeguarding the taxpayer and much of what you do really is advise cities on, on, on what they should do what are the best practices they should have I know you have one where you, you're saying they need to capture revenue better in some cases itinerant businesses will come in and set up very briefly and do a job and they're gone and you're saying that well they're due a, a city tax that's right? an important part of our organization uh, in supporting our mission is to help those elected officials with the quality of governance this goes to the heart of it that's one of the practices we try to train and educate city officials on is compliance and and there may be in in many instances uh, lack of effort on, on obtaining that compliance and revenue they could capture uh, that's left on the table. And what are you telling your member cities about the upcoming 2020 census count? They need to get out there, participate with their county governments in these complete count committees. In fact, the Speaker of the House, David Osborne, just did a resolution uh, encouraging cities to participate in that. It is extremely important from a grant funding uh, perspective, but also with regard to the way some of the tax laws work in Kentucky, that uh, that every citizen inside of our corporate boundaries uh, be counted, and and I think you'll see once it's done that Kentucky now is going to be way over yeah. sixty percent of, of citizens living inside of our cities. And college students apparently can be counted where they're going to school, so those uh, college yeah. towns uh, need to keep that in mind. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having Come me. Back I really appreciate us. it. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning, and you make it a good week ahead.